Hi there, I'm Jason. And I'm Joseph. And this is The Trek-In, a weekly-ish podcast talking all things Star Trek. This week, we're discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 5, Die Trying. So let's get into it with the recap. Discovery jumps to the coordinates given to them by Adira. They enter a distortion field which hides Starfleet headquarters and marvel at all the new ships and technology. Burnham, Saru, and Adira beam over. Adira is taken to medical and never seen again, while Burnham and Saru get casually interrogated by Admiral Vance. They are informed that the whole crew will have to undergo a debrief, and then will all be reassigned and the Discovery will undergo a refit. Burnham does not care for this. She wants to prove that the crew should be kept together by finding a cure for the sick refugees Starfleet is assisting. We get a montage of various crew members getting debriefed. Nan only gives her name and serial number. Tilly reminisces about being a dominatrix. Culber explains that he was dead. Reno needs a snack. Stamets is asked if he is essential. Since she's Terran, Giorgio is debriefed separately by a mysterious man in black. Burnham convinces the Admiral to let her take Discovery to an old seed bank ship that may hold the key to the refugees' survival. After braving an ion storm, they beam aboard and find the place mostly abandoned. Different member worlds of the Federation take turns maintaining the ship, and the most recent watchers were Barzin, the same species as Commander Nan. So Nan, Culber, and Burnham beam over to investigate. What they find is a dead Barzin family and a grieving Dr. Addis out of phase with reality and desperately trying to bring his family back from death. The team fixes phasing issue, but he opts to not accept treatment, even though he will die. Nan stays behind to help him complete his mission, and the crew heads back to Starfleet with the seeds. The refugees are cured, and the Admiral accepts them as part of the Federation family. Saru makes the case that Discovery's unique perspective of being a ship out of time from a revered era might be what Starfleet and the Federation need to move past these dark times. Back on the ship, something is wrong with Giorgio. Burnham ponders a strange melody she has heard for the second time. Saru and Burnham discuss their new beginning. Damn. So this episode had a had a lot going on, but at the same time, it, it was such a broad stroke, kind of like almost felt like a soft reboot. Like you felt like you were home. There was something special about this whole introduction that was there. Um, I I just couldn't encapsulate it except with awe. Like we were the 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 shots of the people looking through the windows at all the new things at all the new ships you know we were the crew of the discovery just walking in this for the first time and i think that was really something special and unique like you felt it another thing like this was the first time i ever got chills hearing somebody say black alert you know like burnham really like was there she commanded it the whole crew felt like a star trek crew it was a bridge crew and then she said black alert and boom we did black alert it was it was just beautiful i i I just kind of was really much in awe for the ride of this episode even the template of half the episode felt like a traditional star trek episode more than anything we've seen in a long long time the 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 briefs were hilarious and nothing beats our new smoking man david cronenberg um terran interrogation possibly section 31 officer nothing beats him He's got to be Section 31. There's no way he's not. Yeah, no, he has got to be. Whatever version of Section 31 is still around, that's that guy. Um, and something is wrong with Giorgio. Something is very wrong with Giorgio now. So I'm curious what that's going to be. But there's so much, uh, the little things in this. Like, I, I don't even think I have a, a snarky comment about the episode because it just, to me, it filled my heart with such brilliant possibilities. I mean, we got little homages to Voyager, the Voyager J. We got an homage to Nog. One of the ships was called the USS Nog. And I guess the behind the scenes on that is that it's an Eisenberg class vessel. So it's named after 
the character and the actor, which is really cool. That's beautiful. That's fucking beautiful. <laughs> it was it was great. Um, but what did you what did you think of the admiral and his bringing them back home? All right. So I know at the beginning they were playing with him as an adversary, but one, I really like that actor. I think he's great. And two, I completely see where he's coming from because the discovery, as much as I hate it has the key to saving the Federation. They have a super secret, magical, super special spore drive. So I would absolutely be grounding them. They wouldn't be going anywhere until we could like reverse engineer that technology and put it on every starship. Because that's like the key probably to restoring the Federation. Yeah, that's what I'd be doing too. Because this is, this is, it's not like we're going to allow it to just be a one hit wonder. And it, it needs to be, that technology needs to be brought to the entire Federation. And that would save the Federation. You know, like all the things they're talking about, like we can't get there for five months or we can't get there for this time. We can't do this, this. It's because they don't have this tech. So, yeah, I would totally be grounding Discovery. I'd give them a new ship. Like, listen, you guys want to stay together? Fine. We need to look at this ship and build this everywhere now. You know, it's like we need to study it. We need to understand it. We need to freaking install it every single ship that we have. So you guys take this new ship and go play somewhere. Um, we're going to take Stamets and we're going to figure this shit out. We've spent the last few hundred years dealing with the aftermath of the temporal war. So we can't trust you immediately. Like we're not temporal agents. We won't know that until, you know, you give us a little time to figure that out. And I think it's interesting that just by coming to the future, the discovery has, I guess, committed a criminal act. Yeah. It's like, we don't handle that shit no more. <laughs> like we don't, we don't like time travelers. They're not allowed here. We don't serve their kind here. We do not accept what the temporal affairs used to accept as just something to investigate. Now it's illegal, like no time travel. No, we're not playing that game anymore. Fuck that. Um, which is fascinating since, you know, so much of Star Trek history is based on the time travel story. You know, in like episode to episode, how many time travel stories were there in Next Generation? Voyager. I mean, my God, how many times did Janeway just passively break the prime temporal directive? All the fucking time. She didn't care. So like at the end of the day, they're doing something. They're making illegal now something that we in Star Trek lore have kind of taken for granted over the years. So this is going to be interesting. They're basically saying Discovery is not allowed to go home. We do not trust you. You have to prove your worth. You have to prove you're, you are one of us. By the end of the episode, I think they did that, but I hope they don't carry it off as just like, oh yeah, you're one of us now, completely without. There should be a still a little bit of distrust and they should build on that. No, I completely agree. It's unfortunate that I think the future of the Federation has to rely on this spore drive, which I hate the concept of. Yeah, I, I mean, like it really has now made me have to be and that's maybe why I never really was a big fan of the whole black alert thing. And I never got emotions with it until now is because I found it just silly uh, at the end of the day. But now that we're kind of here and what it represents, I've caught, I've gotten past the rolling of the eyes mentality that now I'm like, all right, I'm in it. I've chosen to be in it. I've gone this long. I guess now I'm a, I'm a fan and I get what they're doing. So, Okay. We're going we're gonna to fly in a magical mushroom network. Let's just fucking do it now. 
Yeah, I just think we have to accept it and enjoy the stories that they're trying to tell with it. Yeah, no, and we, I, I am. Like, again, this episode really warmed the cockles of my heart. The entire Discovery crew are now all Mary Sues for the entire Federation. So congratulations on that. And I found it interesting, speaking of that, like that Burnham tried to do that so many times, but kept being shot down. Like, it was almost like, no, no Mary Sue for you. Back off for a second. Let's, let's, let's we're not going to let go do the pirate way. You can't always just go in there and have your way, Burnham. Calm down. Let's do this the official channels kind of way. Let's, let's just not make the first thing that we do here stealing somebody's shit. Come on, Burnham. Calm down. At the end of the episode, though, she did get a little bit of a Mary Sue moment where Nan should have been the one to convince Dr. Addis. Culver had to pull burn him aside and be like hey no remember you're the you're the main character apparently so even though you don't know this guy and you can't relate to this guy at all you need to be the one to tell him what's what i don't know why they did that it was all right there it was even if they wanted to start with burnham and do it and have non actually say like listen he's my people let me let me handle this if they wanted to do a little switch at the end there and have two people try fine go for it but the fact that they started with non who who is his race like, she should know more than all of them. In fact, she's the one who even said, you don't understand death the way our people do. That should have been a thing. They should have made that a thing and, and have Burnham be like, oh, I don't have to solve everybody's problems all the time. Other people are capable of doing it too. But instead, Coburn totally was like, oh, you know, look, Nan looks like they'll be having a little problem. Go, go, go do your hero thing and go know exactly what to say because you read the script. Um, it, it just, why? It didn't, it, it was totally unnecessary. That was my one big hiccup of the entire episode. I agree with that. Colbert kind of flip-flopped on his, you're a plot hoarder mentality with Michael and like let Michael hoard the plot this time. I was like, no, no. She looks like she needs a little help. She needs a little backup. Go go over there. It's like, no, Nan shouldn't need to. This is Nan's moment. And of course, Nan, who's known Burnham for what, like a month tops? Um, not even a month. I mean, this has been a few weeks, I think, in the overall scheme of things since uh, she came in from the Enterprise in season two and didn't really have a lot of screen time with Burnham and goes on this whole lovely rant about, oh, you've always been my inspiration. You've taught me so much and you, you're just such a you know, heart and show, whatever the fuck she said. Like, No, this is your moment. Why are you giving it to Burnham? So that's twice in that sequence that like unnecessary attention was thrown onto Burnham and it was unnecessary. The crew is fine without Burnham. Find your, find your level, do your thing. This should be a, a show about the discovery crew, not just you. I love you. I love Burnham. I do. I just want more of the story to kind of be diffused among the great cast and the great characters that seem to be finally showing like the, the, the debriefing uh, script, like all the, the character moments in that debriefing scenes were just, Armageddon level of of spot on. I loved everything, even the whole like throwback to the Detmer joke, you know, from the episode before. It's like, have you been talking to Detmer? Because I feel like I've been asking that question a lot about Samet's usefulness. It, it was <laughs> so hilarious, could not stop. Uh, Reno and her need for snacks, perfect, beautiful, spot on, amazing. Coburn's like, oh, me and my murderer, we're good now. I'm glad they left him in the 23rd century though, because I can't stand that guy. I'm fine with Ash not being in here anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good with what we have exactly as we have it. I, I really hope I've been really enjoying Giorgio since we got back and I've been wanting her to be used for something. I, I don't know where they're going to go with it now because obviously she's been affected, changed, altered, or has been copied. I don't know what's going on, but she is 
been affected by Cronenberg, the smoking man. How about this, though? Section 31 show in the 33rd cent- or 32nd century starring Giorgio and David Cronenberg. I would I would tune in for that every freaking week. I'm thinking it as a like a 32nd century X-Files starring uh, Philippa Giorgio and this mysterious man in black. Yeah, I'm down for that completely because it just the banter they had, the chemistry was just unbelievably fun and and sly slick old school it was real detective noir cold war flirtatious sexy it was so cool to see i may like you and i was trying to see these glasses they make me look smarter i like them it's just it was something about the way they flowed together not a lot i can really snark on because i just inherently enjoyed almost every moment in this episode except for the you know obvious burnham moments why are they writing non out why'd she go to the future to just get written out of the show because i like that character i like that actress and they haven't done nearly enough with her i'm hoping that this is so she can come back and do something later um i'm hoping they're consolidating that the crew so everyone has their place and that it's not just she's being written out that hopefully she's coming back to do something you know like worthwhile same thing with book like he wasn't in the last few episodes, but based on the trailer, we know we're going to see him again in the next episode in a big way. So he's coming back. Um, let them play the long game. And if we don't see Nan again for the rest of the season, then I will get snarky. Then I will get bitchy. Then I'll get annoyed to bring her all the way out here just to have her go home to a whole new... I mean, it's been a thousand years. Imagine going back in time a thousand years for us or bringing someone from a thousand years forward to our time. It's a huge transition. I can only imagine like what that would be like for the character. So what's the point? Just to bring her in, have her in for a few episodes and say, bye, so long, adios. I, no. They, I, I, I've had to believe that the new writers have a plan for her. Here's the snarky part, though. They wait until a character's potential final like appearance to develop them because like we learned more about non in this episode, which potentially is her last episode. than we have the entire like season and a half that we've had her. Uh, well, then based on that, that's the Arium curse. The same thing they did with Arium in the last season. And it's funny because uh, non had called out Arium to be like her inspiration for doing the things that she does. So it's like, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm here to, 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 to replace the person who is, you literally got to know the day before she died, and now I'm gonna I'm here getting an episode just before I leave the show. So I guess that's exactly what happened. Again. Yeah, which by the way, they they hung way too much of a lantern on that. Like I kind of understand like maybe referencing it in the like previously on. They I think they made too much of a big deal about it. Because they didn't know each other. Again, it's like also Arium tried to kill her right before all of the like before she saved her. Mm-hmm. So unless Nan literally went back to Discovery, sat in her room alone, and just read all of Arium's like log recordings, and was like, "Oh, she really was a good person. I really am going to miss her," you know, in kind of like a weird, creepy way. She doesn't know her. She doesn't owe anything to her. And I think this is one thing that. Discovery always kind of fucks up. It always assumes that because someone has a moment of screen time that we're going to care about them. Um, and that we don't. And it, you shouldn't assume that. You need to write these characters and give them fleshed out personalities. It's why I'm so loving what we're seeing now is because we're finally getting personalities 
from this bridge crew. And I am starting to care about some of them. I care a little bit more about Detmer. I didn't have to look her name up to, in order to have this podcast. I, I I knew who she is now. We even know we even know her first name now. It's Kayla, spelled weird, but Kayla. And so we know this. We have a certain feelings for. Her. We know she has anxiety, some post traumatic stress disorder. We have our dysfunctioning engineering staff, which I think is a cute little roundabout way of making a little banter and fun between Reno Stamets and Tilly. They're great. Love everybody as they're rising up. I like that trio. Yeah, the trio is great. Um, but keep doing that. And then get rid of, I mean, for lack of a better way to explain this, then if you're going to get rid of somebody and you want us to care, get rid of one of them. Because that's how you make good television. That's how you fuck with people's emotions. That's how you get people to scream at the television in a good and bad way is by giving us things to care about and then destroying them right before our eyes. It's the only way to make us feel things. It's 2020 people. That's it. We're immune to anything else. So don't take a character that literally only is giving character development in the same episode that you're getting rid of them. We won't care. It's it's not. It's, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah, that's fair. Can we talk about how big of a swing it was at the end of the episode? Saru talking about Giotto and the Renaissance. Like that was a big... That was a big swing. <laughs> I mean, he he knocked it out of the park, apparently. But like it was I was even I was like, where are you going with this? That was a bit of a risk. Even the admiral was like, wait, just get, a, get a, I see what you're doing. Something dramatic here, Saru. Please get ahead of yourself. Just don't waste my time. I got I got meetings. Um, and yeah, Saru did take a big swing and it was a big risk. You had like three people on on bases and I don't do sports. I'm not going to continue with this metaphor. Bottom line is he he did go for it and it kind of worked, but it was extremely arrogant and very pompous at the end of the day, being like, oh, we're here to light the way of your darkest hour, your dark ages. We are here to remind you of all the, the best things. Like really? Discovery represents the best parts of Starfleet? Because I understand that's what you guys have been riffing for the last few seasons, but Based on the action alone, Discovery has been involved with a lot of shit. From having a Terran captain doing a whole bunch of shady shit to get back to his Terran timeline, coming back, dealing with these strange red angel signals, which were all covert and conveniently dismissed. I mean, just Discovery itself and her crew don't exactly hold up to like the, the Enterprise D level of, of standard of what the Federation should be. You want to you wanna bring someone from the past? Bring Picard before he got tragically post-traumatic stress disorder from the Romulan issue. Like, get, get old school Picard. He'll he'll lead the Federation to better things. The Discovery, mm, I, he nailed it, he did, but I still think that it was extremely arrogant and pompous of him to do. It was, but it wasn't as arrogant and pompous as Burnham like throughout the episode, the way that she interacted with the Admiral was very like too sure of herself, overly confident in herself. And, and Saru called her out on it as well. But like, she just came across as kind of disrespectful, extremely disrespectful. I mean, like she is a commander in Starfleet from a thousand years ago, walking into somebody's home. Who's, you know, this is the head of Starfleet intelligence or the like, head of Starfleet in general. And just talking to him, like he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, it's like, oh, we'll do this. We'll do that. You guys don't seem to understand how to do that. We'll do that. It's like, why would you know how to do that? We're using a thousand year old technology more advanced than yours. Um, you're a commander. I'm 
a level 27 admiral. Um, I mean, look at those goddamn pips. They're fucking huge. He's got like three bars underneath those five pips. So he's, he's, he's important. And yeah, I found it. Burnham is used to getting her way and being able to talk her way through it. And I love the actress's performance when she did get shot down. Cause it was like, what? I don't understand. She, they're not listening to me. They're not listening to me. Glitch, 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 glitch. Uh, she was shocked. And Saru was right. Like, calm yourself. This is the fucking admiral we're going to listen to for a bit. Um, so I'm hoping that we get Burnham being more balanced from here on in. And she knows that she should play. And if she wants the freedom, she should go get her own ship. Again, go run off with book and have her own show with that. So we get the Section 31 show with Philippa and, and Cronenberg. We get the book and, and Burnham show running off and doing pirate stuff. And we get the Discovery actually doing the shit that Star Trek's used to doing. There we get your three shows. Done. I'm down. I know CBS All Access is trying to have it so that there's always new Star Trek on because then people won't unsubscribe to their app. <laughs> so just do that. And then you just get, just tell one story with three different television shows if you want. If you want to tell this big overreaching arc of what's going on in the burn, you can just have three different shows handling it in three different ways. No one will ever unsubscribe to that. That'll be YouTube channel people talking about it for decades. I'm here for it. No, I would be. I would totally be here for it because it continues to prove. And again, I love this episode so deeply, so much from the awe-inspiring tour through the shipyards, um, the new technology banter. The I was expecting the Enterprise. There's a flying rainforest. All the ideas that some of them are organic ships, some of them are holographic ships. The weird holograms we got, like that were kind of these annoying little like emergency medical holographic programs, but more evolved. I'm interested in what's going on with all of the Federation Starfleet border issues that they're keeping consolidated. But I want to see more. And I think it's now that we're in this universe, the best way to do it is to spread our resources about so we'll see what happens we will see what happens so i think i would be remiss if i didn't mention this but the mystery song melody it does not seem like a star trek plot to me it seems like a doctor who plot it's very cracks in the universe yeah it is very cracks in the universe um it seems more whimsical more fantasy and this is what i've said before is my issue with uh, modern Star Trek is it doesn't base itself on solid science fiction. It bases itself more now on fairy tale, magic, fantastical elements than um, Twilight Zone based elements. You know, the episodic Star Trek has always been we're telling a short story, we're having these performers tell those short stories, um, and the end of the episode's done. We all learn a lesson about like. The, the perils of technology or the perils of communication or self-identity each story meant a very specific plot and theme but when you're telling these over serialized stories what is your main point it's telling more drama it's more space opera and that's fine but if your basis of all that space opera is magical and fantastical then you're now competing with star wars you're not competing with star trek you're not telling a Star Trek story. You're you're just having a space adventure that could be anywhere, um, anytime, anything. 
So I don't know what the song is. Now, the only thing I could think of that would make it Star Trek again is if we go all Black Mirror and the song is just a representation that we're all in the Matrix kind of a thing. Like everyone knows that song because everyone's enslaved and everyone's really in secret pods. I don't know how they'd figure that out, but it's, you know, something like that. They have to have it come in and really be affecting the overall population of the entire freaking galaxy the same way that whoever affected the dilithium thing would have that same power. So again, we're talking about a space wizard who was able to snap his fingers while whistling Dixie and destroying all the dilithium in the freaking universe. I would wager that this mysterious melody is also related to the burn. Yeah, that's that's the only way you can play it. But it, it's got to be something so advanced science fiction-wise that it appears to be magic or they're just going to get lazy and do the Cthulhu thing all over again. And it's just going to be magical and silly. So you're saying a wizard did it. <laughs> it's a wizard. It's a fucking wizard. It's cute. It's an all-powerful, all-knowing, like I said, whistling Dixie. And we now we all have Dixie in our minds. My absolute dream is that it's the villain from Star Trek V. <laughs> what does god need with a starship what does god need with a starship joseph now he doesn't need a starship now he's angry that everybody else got starships so he blew up all the starships so he blew up all the starships and now he forces a song in everybody's head that's torture for everybody else everyone who gets songs stuck in their head for all eternity like that the torture of that that's what he did so yeah god's just being a little bitch because kirk messed with him and threw some torpedoes at him Pew, pew, pew. I'm really looking forward to the moment where Burnham looks in on her brother and what ha- what happened to Spock. I want to, I want that to be a, a scene. I want that to be a scene about Leonard. I want that to be a scene where we, we learn a little bit more about the Enterprise again and, uh, and what happened, the, the destruction of Romulus, you know, and him disappearing. I want to know her reaction to that. And I know she's looking for her mom, but I mean... Don't you care about what happened to your family? All these characters should be looking in to see like what records are available and what happened to their people. That would be my first thing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we're, we might get some Spock stuff, um, not next episode, but the episode after that, because it's unification three. That's right. We are, we are, we are pounding through these episodes. I mean, I remember when we first did our first episode and we're like, Oh my God, it's, I felt like when you brought up unification three, it was going to be so long far away, but it's it's creeping up there. This was just episode five. And what Unification Three is episode seven or eight? Seven, I believe. Jesus, yeah. So we only we only got like one more week till we get the trailer for that. I can't wait to see some of these new ships closer up. Some of those designs looked really fucking cool. Like I wanna see like Nog ship um and what that Voyager fully looks like, what the secondary hull looks like. I can't wait I can't wait to hear more about what, what this universe is like. I would like to see that futuristic constitution class ship. Yeah. When the, she was like, oh, we got a new constitution. And then there's that one ship that the nacelles aren't even attached to the ship itself. They just look like they're floating next to it. I don't even know how the fuck they do that. It's the future. They can do anything. They can. They can. And it's a thousand years. So they definitely can go a far distance away from the usual saucer secondary hall nacelle. They can keep some of those aesthetics but it is cool that they're expanding beyond the aesthetics as well. In the 27th century, we saw the USS Relativity, and that looked like a, like a, an underwater ship. So we can tell the aesthetics don't have to stay in that 
general vicinity we can get some cool new designs and we i think we did i just want to get a closer look at them let me just throw this out there i would absolutely not feel comfortable on a holographic ship with how main power gets knocked out on these ships there is no fucking way <laughs> can you imagine that like all right just um, the fuse is down let me just reset it boom and then the whole ship just evaporates away yeah, that, that would have to have the most reliable power grid ever invented by anyone. That is not something you fuck around with. Yeah, no thank you. Um, the organic ship, though? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like other theoretical technologies. Um, I, I want, I'm curious when they said, like, our AIs have evolved. Considering all the energy they put into Picard about that artificial intelligence, what does it really mean? Like, I didn't really vibe that the holograms were as sentient as the Doctor from Voyager. I got a sense that they were just almost the equivalent of droids in Star Wars. And not like the 3PO R2 droids, but kind of like, I don't know, like Imperial Service droids. Kind of equivalent of sentiency. They were self-aware, but they were still just an automated robotic feature. They weren't Moriarty. They weren't Data. They weren't the Doctor. They're just gonk droids. Yeah, they're, they're, they're holographic, pleasant-looking gonk droids, essentially, that could be blinked out of existence. Literally. They're prettier trash can droids. Yeah. Beep up boop So I don't entirely know whether that was a conscious decision to steer away from uh, incurring the wrath of Cthulhu or whether they actually considered their AIs pretty advanced. But they all seemed kind of stupid to me. Like, not stupid, but not... They didn't have a soul. I feel like Data had a soul. Right. To me, it actually seemed like their EMH was a big backstep from the EMH that we saw in Star Trek Picard. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. He was very, like, season one Doctor from Voyager. Mm -hmm. Abrasive without a bedside manner, without a personality, without goals, without its own internal choices to do what they want. Their only function is to do what they do. I can't imagine these holograms going home to a quarters and dreaming and just going dancing or singing, you know, like the doctor updated his program because he wanted to improve himself. That was the whole point. Um, I can't imagine these designs improving themselves. I mean, I think that is your basis of what makes artificial intelligence in Star Trek seem more alive. It's how much the artificial intelligence wishes to improve upon itself. We didn't really even talk about the the whole seed ship plot. Did you think it was kind of, it was very convenient that Michael just happened to know about a thousand year old seed ship that was just, that could solve all their problems? I've, I've given up on trying to like count every single time Michael happens to know exactly what to do um, <laughs> all the fucking time. It's just, it's just the way it is. So I, I, was I surprised? No. Was it convenient? Yes. And of course, the ship had to have been around a thousand years ago, so the Discovery crew could know about it, and it could has to still be around. Um, and also, when we finally did get to it, to contain all the seeds in the galaxy, didn't that thing look like a shuttlecraft? It looked very cramped. Yeah, I mean, it looked extremely small to contain all the seeds in the entire galaxy, which I always get annoyed when, when anyone on the Discovery crew says the word galaxy, because... By the time they're doing their thing, I think they've only just explored half of the beta quadrant and a partial of the alpha quadrant. Like, 
they don't know galaxy. The term galaxy doesn't mean shit to them. They should not be using that. It'd be like me saying, oh my God, like I, I got this water from all the way across the world. You mean down the block at the convenience store? I mean, yeah, but it's like global water, man. Like, Shut the fuck up. It is a seed ship that should have been four or five times as large and should have been old and yada, yada. But without going into snarking about that, I think it felt like a convenient way to have a Star Trek episode inside a Star Trek episode. Because from the moment that Burnham leaves, I feel like this could have just been a next generation episode. You have your, your, your problem. You have your away team. You beam down, you solve a problem, you beam back up and problem is solved. End of episode. So we had a half an episode where we all just kind of like, wow. Oh, what is this place? And then a very classic template for a TNG DS9, just episodic Star Trek right there. And I think that was the purpose of that, to kind of have this very familiar, this is what we do mentality and solving of a problem. I did like that. It did feel like a condensed TNG episode. Very much so. And I think that was, again, that was the point. Even just the way the, they were talking on the bridge to prepare the ship to go to Black Alert. Also, what terms do we use for Black Alert? Am I just going to say instead of warp, Black Alert all the time? Are we saying jump? Can we use, can we use jump? Can yeah, we use jump? Yeah, so before they jump away. Okay. Black Alert just seems wordy. Uh, yeah, it is a bit wordy. It's, I mean, it's not as easy as like saying warp. Yeah, so they warped away. They warped out. Now they black alerted out. It just doesn't. Yeah, it just doesn't flow off your tongue. They black alerted out of there. No, no. They blacked out. Good for them. That's what Book was trying to do a couple episodes ago, but he didn't realize it was Synthahol. Poor guy. He really was trying to get his buzz on. Hey man, it's a rough future. <laughs> uh, what's her name? I'm uh, not the helmsman. Operations. Oh, uh, Awushkun. Awushkun, and uh, you've been pushing it. Every single time they have an interaction, that there's something between us, uh, between them, and I, I'm, I see it more and more every single time they do it. Like this one was too. Like there was such a reassurance there, and almost like you can do this. Remember what we talked about in bed? I mean, it was, it was such a familiarity and a relationship that was implied. So I'm beginning to just completely see everything you see there that there's something going on. Yeah, we hardly knew these people five episodes ago, but now I ship them. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I wish, uh, basically, we have Oo Detmer, Reese. Reese, yeah. He's tactical, right? And then Bryce is comms. Bryce is comms, okay. okay. And then you asked who the security officer was. It was non, so now they don't it have one. It was non, and now we don't have one. Now it's a non-issue. <laughs> oh, womp, womp. I, yeah, I really hope she comes back. I hope that's not just like empty, like, all right, we have too many characters, go away. I hope it's not that. Yeah. As soon as I sussed out that that's where they were going, I was screaming at my TV. I was like, no, I like her. Get rid of somebody else. She was so, she seemed pleased that Barzan joined the Federation and Kaminar joined the Federation. Yep, Kaminar joined the Federation, Barzan joined the Federation. They had, well, they said it, uh, 350 worlds at its peak. Yep, and now it's down to 38. 38, Jesus Christ. That's sad. The Federation was probably huge. I mean, they probably had the Klingon Empire in there. They had probably 
I mean, I would even suspect that the Romulans might have joined at some point in time. I feel like we'll probably find that out on like in episode seven. I want we haven't still haven't seen a Klingon yet, so we don't know what's going on with them. Do you know who I think joined the Federation? Who? I think Cardassia did because in the preview for the next episode, there's a Cardassian captain, baby. Oh, cool. That's oh, that's a nice thing that they got past their their shit and moved on. There were some rumors that um, because of the uniforms, the uh, they thought that Starfleet was home based on Bajor um, and Deep Space Nine, and I, I was. I was kind of excited for the possibilities of that just so I could get some deep space nine love. Um, and I pictured in, in universe how that would have made sense. Wouldn't you want to be near an active wormhole that can get you like two and four places immediately and quickly. So that would have made sense. Now I'm just curious what the status of the wormhole is and what's going on with Bajor and the profits. Cause that was a pretty significant thing for the, for travel in the Federation. We're getting no DS9 follow-ups in any of these shows, and it's very upsetting. Yeah. Well, we got Nog. Someone, I mean, we got the Nog reference. So they acknowledge that Deep Space Nine exists. Right. But, like, you know, um, Kate Mulgrew's coming back in Star Trek Prodigy, and they had the Voyager shout-out in this episode. Picard got a sequel series. Come on. I know Avery Brooks is crazy, but please bring back Cisco. Do something. Eccentric, eccentric, and not crazy. He's got smooth, eccentric jazz flowing through his blood. He's definitely an interesting character. Yes. <laughs> in actuality. Oh yeah. I mean he's an interesting character in the show too. I think he's one of I think he's one of the best written characters in Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, my, he's my captain. That That's my, uh, growing up, I, I think I've said it before, like Deep Space Nine was my show. And Cisco was who I related to the most. He was who I connected with the most, who I felt like I got more wisdom from him on personal life issues than I did Picard. Picard taught me a lot about philosophy and, and looking outward and diplomacy. But like, when it comes to life stuff, I felt like I got more from Benjamin Cisco than... And then, then Picard or Kirk or definitely more than Janeway. But I, I loved Avery Brooks' performance. He was amazing. The character, the story, beautiful, great. The Defiant is still my favorite ship of all time. Um, and that's, I, I would have liked the Defiant reference in that thing. Like maybe there's a Defiant still around. I would have loved that the same Defiant is still a thousand years old hanging out there somewhere. But that's just me fantasizing and wanting it. Um, and it made me question also whether is there an enterprise in this era? I bet you there is. I wonder if it's that constitution class that we saw. Maybe it would be what would see. Um, the enterprise J was about 500 years ago. P Q Q Q enterprise Q. <laughs> and John Delancey is the captain. I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> the way that you feel about Cisco as a captain do you think anyone will ever feel that way about Michael Burnham as a character? See, that's the problem. It's like I, they don't really place Michael Burnham as a way to install knowledge and wisdom to the audience. They do it as a way to for her to do it to the characters within the show. And so they're not really I don't think you ever could. And again, I love Michael Burnham. I love the character. I like that she's this Vulcan with a tragic past and she's a little damaged and she's dealing with all this stuff. But they're not treating her like someone who is damaged. They're treating her like a, a like a problem solver who's better than everybody. And I I want to like her 
completely and accept that she can do everything. But I feel like she does it at the expense of making everybody else look less capable. And that's where the balance of the problem is. So I'm so busy being annoyed by that, that I'm not fully invested in Michael Burnham as this hero, you know, like sage voice of wisdom. Whereas Picard and Cisco, and even Kirk a lot of times, spoke to me and I felt like they were kind of ex- held up by the rest of their crew. And through all that, I felt I was learning. I don't feel like I'm learning. I feel like I'm being told what to do. I think that's the best way I could explain it. For me, the actress is great. I love Sonequa Martin-Green. But the character is overemphasized and underwritten. We're, we are told how awesome Michael Burnham is. And like they give her a lot of the plot. But we don't feel it. It's being direct. It's, it, we're being um, we're being told, told to feel this shown. way. Yeah, told and not shown. You know, it's like there's a lot of times where I felt how amazing Cisco was because just because of his actions, not because of what he was telling me how awesome he was. And it wasn't like the rest of the crew were always constantly giving him validated reassurance. You know, it's well, the Bajorans kind of were Well, the Bajoran, but they did it in a way that like we were all rolling our eyes and even Cisco was rolling his eyes like, don't don't do it. Don't do it. All right. Here. I'm signing your baby. Here, here, go away. Vanish. He hated it. He hated the attention. He just wanted to do his job. <laughs> he just wanted to do his job, man. But Burnham, she's she'd be the first one to be like, yes, come. I will solve all of your problems. Take a number. She is a black hole of plot. Yeah. And I'm hoping, like, again, we just we just got to endure for a little bit while longer. The next episode looks really promising of her, like, kind of rebelling. And I want more rebellion. Burnham, I feel like that's where the character needs to go, just to not be this simped up goddess of worship and just be like this, I'm going to do my own thing. And that's why I think she works really well with Book and why this character works really well with Book because she can be this kind of know-it-all savant with Book on random adventures and not have to constantly save her crew, which are perfectly capable of taking care of themselves if she just let them. Um, that's what I'm hoping that we get more of that and she doesn't stay as a first officer. Let her go the way of um, of Mariner from Lower Decks. I'm for that, actually, yeah. She's like, I see I can't get the job done that I want to get done in the Federation, so I'm going to be a brat, I'm going to be a rebel, and I'm going to be a rogue, and I'm going to do everything I can to help people. Let her be Robin Hood. Um, that's actually a good segue though. Let's talk about the trailer for next week. Yeah. Um, one, did you see that freaking shot of book ship trans fucking forming? I did. I did. Like what is, what, what is that ship? <laughs> that looks, I'm just waiting for it to turn into Metroplex. This is a fucking Cybertronian. The trailer reminded me of like something we'd see in deep space nine. For some reason, it just it kind of vibed me there. And I guess we're going to go on a rescue to get book back. This is the prison escape episode. Looks like they're going to do like an A-B plot. Discovery does something on the books and then Michael Burnham goes and does off the books prison break. Yeah, and that's fine. That's and with Giorgio. So you, I have my dynamics and that's how the show should be forever. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how i mean it's obviously the orion syndicate are behind this the emerald chain i think i think they were called 
the Emerald Chain. So how Book got back to them to get in trouble in the first place, and then B, what the status of all the other governments are. So I'm, I'm really curious on how that's going to play itself off. Um, and we have, um, damn, what's the, oh, the Andorian without the freaking antenna. Yeah, I wonder what that's about. So, I mean, so this is going to be a fracked up world, something. And you saw the um, the explosives on the people's necks. Very Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited by this. And whatever that ship is going to do, I'm really curious. And we hopefully we'll find a little bit more about what's happening with Giorgio. Because she fainted at the last part of the trailer. Yeah, what what is up with Giorgio? I don't know. Like, they talked about that there's something in the Terran DNA that made them, you know, bitchy to a certain extent. So maybe they toyed with it. Maybe they cloned her and are, it's, she's just a drone. I mean, who knows what's going on with Churchill? Like they're, they're really messing with her. The one thing I think I loved about her, which was she's an independent who does what she wants. And now they're putting her under control. So that's a little scary. But if Cronenberg has a plan, I will trust in Cronenberg. When I was like watching it initially, I was just like, how do I know this guy? And then I looked up and I was like, oh my God, it's David Cronenberg. Yep. It's David Cronenberg. <laughs> and I don't know what to call him. I kept calling him the, I mean, Man in Black is great. I think that's probably what I'll end up calling him. Because I kept wanting to just call him the Smoking Man. Because, I mean, that's who he is. He's the Smoking Man from X-Files. Just instead of cigarettes, he has these really cool glasses. I hope he's a reoccurring character because I thought he was very interesting. Yeah, and I mean, like, we obviously, we you wanted Sahil to be a uh, reoccurring character. Yeah, I, we're never going to see him again. No, no. I, I, always, I wanted to have them have that conversation. Be like, yeah, we went to one of your outposts and there's one guy on it. So maybe you should go get that guy. Well, I mean, I guess it's like his family legacy to like watch that post. So like they can't just like up and take him. But like, I like that character. Yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen his face when he walked into Starfleet and the Federation and to see that, you know, because obviously he's never seen anybody. I picture it was just his family and his father might have been on a ship or his father's father would have been on a ship and that's all they have left. So I would have loved to have seen Sahil's face when the, and if, if they don't do something with that, like if we have that moment where the Federation is like getting bigger again and it's starting to get connected, I want to see Sahil's face looking at this, looking at the expansion and see what he, what, what's now he's a part of again. Cause you had a bookend it. You started up with this emotional character that really says guardianship. And I've been custodian of this thing that from the ancient past that used to be great and wonderful, but is now gone. And to see it there alive again, I think would be beautiful. So they got to have that bookend thing with him as a nice framework. Let me throw this out there. The Federation and Starfleet are diminished. They are less non-existent than we were led to believe. It's not like when we thought that the Federation was just like a one outpost and like three raggedy old ships. You know, that's, I think, what that was being implied. But it's just they can only exist in like 60 sectors at, at a time, essentially. And so I picture this is a a traveling city base floating through space, um, dealing with whatever they can. They just don't have a lot of ships, but they're still advanced and they obviously are well put together, but they just communication and travel is the issue. 
No, I'm. I it, this felt like a beginning of a new era. You know, when I when I turned off the episode and I put it right back on again for the third time, it made me feel like this is a whole new show now, and what the show is going to be, and what its future is going to be. I'm really down for. You know, and like they're going to keep making some discovery level mistakes because that's who they are. Um, I'm hoping they round off Burnham and they really give her the material to shine because she deserves it. The actress deserves it. She's amazing. The character base is amazing. Just treat her like a real person and not like a superhero because it's not a superhero show. And I'll, I'll be fine. And I let everyone shine equally for a little while because they deserve it. The actors deserve it. The characters deserve it. No, I mean, and it just, it felt like to me, like a start of a whole new show. If, if if every week we're going to see what Discovery does in this new Federation, I'm I'm totally down. It's a start of something. Because I, I feel like the beginning of season three was a soft reboot. And I feel like this solidified the soft reboot. Like the transition is over. This is the show where you're getting. Go. Admiral Vance's reaction just to oh, you're a ship from the past, like a thousand years in the past, with a super secret magic spore drive that could solve all of our problems, and you possess sphere data, apparently, which is like a slice of the galaxy for like 100,000 years. I think even, even Admiral Vance was like, this is... What? <laughs> what does your ship do out there? Like we have all these ships, and none of them have these weird, wild, crazy mushroom stories and sphere data bullshit. Like, what, what, what is this? What am I responsible for now? What did you bring to me? I feel like he was very close to calling them out and just being like, "Yeah, that sounds really far fetched." <laughs> are you sure your guys are real? Like, <laughs> he almost called Discovery a Mary Sue. Yeah, he really did. I really feel like he did. <laughs> I just, I just can't with you guys. I almost in the back of his head, just rolling his eyes. Like, I just can't. You're all temporal agents. I'm I'm just calling it right now. I can't handle from where I'm sitting. You all sound crazy. And I'm sitting here. But sure. Talk to me about a Renaissance painter. (laughs) From like 2000 years ago now. Don't you Kelpie explain me the earth Renaissance period. Okay. Saru? Like, dude, but seriously, why is it that, that, that Saru is going on this rant about Earth Earth painters from, what, 600 years before he even got there? It's, I guess Saru is one of those guys who literally studied up on every. He did. He did. Didn't he, like, study up on every single language and every single part of the culture? What is with the Discovery crew being a whole bunch of overachievers? They really are. We can just, we can say how it is. Saru is, like, a federation weeaboo like he culturally appropriated the federation <laughs> he's like a federation fanboy yeah he is and i will learn everything about it because i'm the only one and this is my fan base no other kelpians are allowed to enjoy the federation like me what happened to the uh other species on kaminar i feel like i want closure for that the baul that one episode was not enough to fully explain the relationships going on there. It was a lot of implication and a lot of history. And we know that a whole bunch of Kelpians revolted, took a whole bunch of Baul ships and helped Enterprise and Discovery at the end of season two. But I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty sure the Kelpians 
got strong and then they just completely obliterated the Baul for enslaving them for two for like two millennia. Okay, that's fine. And then eventually the Federation's like, listen, we get it. You can come hang with us, but we're not going to let you in until a few years because that was pretty fucked up what you did. Like, I, I slaughtered them all. The animals, the children, the women. I slaughtered them like animals. All right, Kelpia, calm your fuck down. Calm your tits. All right, yeah, your Federation membership is pending. Uh, we're going to get back to it in a couple seasons. Yeah, a few seasons. A few centuries before all the temporal war shit happens so you can yeah, be involved with that. Have fun with it. Um. I wonder. I mean, they they are relying a lot on the temporal war as a as a back history, which I like, which is good. I'm just wondering if that's going to come back up again for all this reminder that time travel caused a lot of trouble. Is there going to be a time travel explanation for the burn? They have referenced time travel and the temporal cords and the temporal wars a couple of times, so it makes me think that it one uh, two things. They're either outlining it or underlining it so that like because it is related to the burn or what i think is probably more likely they want to underline the fact that burnham and the crew of the discovery are not going back in time yeah that's how i first took it because they were really underlining it with exclamation marks all over the place and i was like okay i get it and as a fanboy i think it's cool because you're referencing a whole bunch of other trek and all these other things that we know happens but they're really pushing it sometimes and i to the point where i'm like are they doing it to also remind us that this could be a thing later so uh, yeah i agree with your points like most likely it's a way to explain like you ain't going back you're stuck here um but also could be that there's more to this and maybe the burn was a result of the temporal of war yeah still that happened i don't know um because again we're looking for something magical and that couldn't affect everything at all at once and the only thing i could think of other than a wizard um is something having to do with time travel affecting all of space time simultaneously so we'll, we'll see could be all right uh final thoughts on the episode i loved it i want i'm really excited to keep moving forward it well, it took my heart a gasp that i didn't even have too many snarky things to say about it except for them totally again misusing burnham in it but i'm so used to that that it, it until you remind me of it now, I think I mostly push it in the back of my head because I had so much fun in this episode seeing all the new things <clears throat> and finally coming home to the Federation. I completely agree. And next week, Prison Break. All right, so follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Trek In Pod, and feel free to send us any questions, concerns, comments, complaints at thetrekinpod at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Jason. And I'm Joseph. Thank you for listening, and we will trek in with you next week. Hailing the frequencies closed. Good night.